0: American Capitalism, a History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. The suburbs. Nothing perhaps defined American life like the suburbs in the 20th century. And the suburbs themselves were a product of not just capitalist investment, but a very particular kind of investment driven by. New Deal finance, the suburb. It was a creation of the FHA, an FHA that, in reaction to 30 years of progressive reform, had condemned the idea of urban living, especially the tenement, with its crowded conditions, its squalid air, and all the other features that the tenement provided. And so as the FHA began to imagine what an ideal environment would be, For the American family, they imagined spaces of air and light and greenery and order away from the chaos of the city. And that's how they imagined the suburbs to be. Unlike most imaginations, which are just about flights of fancy, the imagination of the FHA planners took the form of the Underwriters' Manual, a set of insurance guidelines for loans, such that their imaginations became reality. It was a way for these abstract ideas to guide the channel of mortgage lending and development loans into very specific ways for houses to be. So for instance, in these FHA-driven neighborhoods, there were very specific regulations about how streets should be ordered, about what sizes doorways should be so that furniture could be easily moved around, how windows should be arranged. But it didn't limit itself just to the physical environment. The FHA codified a certain vision of population that emerged out of this vision of the cities with its immigrant populations, its mixtures of different races and classes. It sought out a new kind of order that was not just physical, but social. And so 20% of the value of whether or not a mortgage would be approved, depended on these so-called adverse influences, which were really about the dangers of class and racial mixing. So that if a neighborhood had a mixture of people who were African American, Asian American, or Jewish, it was considered to be of a lower quality than one that was just for so-called white people. This, quote, lack of appropriate and adequate deed restrictions that kept out these populations would be sufficient to lower the value of a neighborhood and make it difficult to arrange mortgages. At the same time, the FHA also forbade lending to central business districts of cities. Especially urban cores then were deprived of all of this flow of mortgages and capital and investment and development. So it's little wonder, then, that we see in in this policy the co-creation of those two defining spaces of residential life in the late 20th century, of the suburb and the ghetto. While the regulations initially forbade all kinds of mixing on certain populations, especially African-Americans, it opened up the mixing of other kinds of populations that today we perhaps are not so aware of, Italians and Poles, Slovaks, and Bohemians, and Irish, and Germans, and various kinds of Europeans that, until very recently, had not really been considered quite white. After all, in 1924, a set of laws had restricted immigration, especially from southeastern Europe. And so it was a little surprising that these populations, only 15 years later, were suddenly allowed to mix. In fact, were not considered part of these adverse influences. And so in the suburbs, you see something that is new. The breakup of these old urban ethnic neighborhoods, with their old kinds of food, their old kinds of language, and the placement into new suburban neighborhoods that are now defined as white. Historians like to think of this as one of the ways in which these older groups become white, by the fact that they are now arranged by class and income, rather than by ethnicity. Food is central to all of this. Whereas old neighborhoods would have their corner deli with their strange kinds of meats, the new suburbs had supermarkets. And these supermarkets grew alongside the suburb as a place accessible only by car, which of course most suburbanites had. They would sell a low variety of goods at a greater volume. And thus, they produced a mass kind of approach to food distribution that didn't have the specialty products of the city, but had many different kinds of cheap foods. These kinds of foods were about 12% cheaper than even at the A&P. The A&P, for the first time, is finding a rival in these new kinds of supermarkets, which had very colorful names that were about size, like King Cullen, or Big Bear, or Big Eagle, various kinds of big animals, it seems. And so these stores had, didn't have just low service. They had no service. They had pick yourself and save. So it's very much like we talked about with the Piggly Wiggly now coming to everywhere in America. Clearly marked prices, clearly marked shelves. And so cut off from immigration, eating at these supermarkets, everyone began to eat spaghetti. But very few people ate garlic. And so it produced a more homogenous, more racially identified white culture, even among groups that just 15 years earlier had been at the center of the most contentious immigration laws in American history. And so we see in the suburb the creation of a new American lifestyle that includes most people and very explicitly excludes some, especially African-Americans. This new suburb would define what it was almost to be white in the late 20th century. With the wealthy and middle class Americans moving to the suburbs, retailers needed to relocate as well. They relocated to something called the mall. The mall, or also the shopping center, was a new way for stores to be gathered together surrounded by parking lots where suburban shoppers in their cars could easily travel. Malls were made possible not just by cars or by the shifting demographics of shoppers, but also by a change in the tax code in 1954 that allowed very quick depreciation on the real estate. So just like factories investments had been promoted during World War II, so now commercial real estate becomes promoted during the 1950s. This sets up an entire transformation in American retail as not just little stores, but also the largest department stores of the cities begin to move to the suburbs. This is also part of the transformation into the suburb and the ghetto, in that when all of these stores move to the suburbs, the cities are left behind, with much more expensive and fewer retail options. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University.